going to be talking to this morning about parenting in a postmodern age. So <clears throat> I've got a quote for you. Where do you think, or who said this? The quote is, The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, they show disrespect for elders, and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, they're not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up dainties at the table. They cross their legs and tyrannise their teachers. Who do you think said that? Any ideas? Close? Close? Socrates, who lived 479 BC. So... Have things changed? <laughs> let's, let's pray as we consider this this morning. Lord, we're talking about parenting to a postmodern generation and here we go right back to so many years, 500 years before the modern era and we see things the same. So please open our eyes to see how we can participate in parenting in whatever way we come to it, as a recipient, as a parent, as an observer. Uh, we pray that you would open our eyes to see which way to go and uh, fill us with your spirit to live what we need to live. Amen. And so that ties in so much with what Jethro said before, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday and forever. Parenting is the same today as it was then. And though every era of life likes to think that it is unique and it has its own flavours to life and to the problems of life, and that is true, but each era is also the same because it has people in it. And parenting is both different from then and the same for every era. And so that means that parenting well has principles which will never change and though how you enact those principles will vary in every era. But what are the principles? Where do we find them? Of course, in God's word. And we know that every era tries to find a way to discredit God's word, to avoid God's word, to diminish God's word. But yet it is still those who live by God's word who have the best chance of being the best parent they can be. And let's look straight into God's word at the Ten Commandments and this wonderful one, Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then there's this promise. If you do that, so that you may live long and it may go well with you, in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And you say, hold on, that's a verse for kids, not for parents. Well, think about this. You can only parent well if you've first been a good kid. Because only those who put themselves under authority are able to wield authority properly. So what a wonderful thing, though, that it's the only one of the Ten Commandments which comes with a promise. Do it right, long life comes your way and life goes well for you. And 
One of the other important things from Scripture about our topic is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what the New King James Version says, and the Amplified Version expands a little bit more. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and his will for his abilities and talents, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. And so that is saying that a child is trained up in a godly fashion, will always return to his roots, no matter how far he roams. And that is true as a general rule. But it's not absolutely and always true because we have this thing called free will. Every child has a free will. But there's enough promise there to let us know that when we are raising our children, that it's not in vain. And there's enough promise there to comfort the faithful and the broken heart when the child strays. But there's also a challenge here to train up your child. Will you train up your child or will someone else? Will you impart the basic attitudes towards life, the philosophy of life which you have, or will someone else? And the sad fact is that today in Australia, much of the training of our children is not being done by parents, nor the church, nor public or private school, but by television, by YouTube, by Google, by social media, by games on devices. And from those sources, our nation's children are getting many ideas which are right about many ideas about what's right and what's wrong, ideas about God, ideas about sex, ideas about marriage, ideas about family, ideas about life in general. I'll give you a somewhat humorous example. One fellow was saying that when my son was three years old, he wandered onto the road in this small little village where he lived and his mother scolded him and said, hey, that car could run you over, son. And his response was, don't worry, mama, Superman will take care of me. Been watching a bit too much TV, hadn't he? So training up kids, you've got to begin with the end in mind. And what is the end in mind? Think about this. Let's go to Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Is that a strange end for parenting? Think about it. Kay and I have had the privilege over the years of building three houses. Two, we tweaked some company building plans and one Kay designed from scratch. And we didn't engage the builders and say, well, let's make a start together on this project and we'll talk about it stage by stage and we'll just see where the project leads us. We don't really have any idea about what it's going to look like when it's done, so let's just make it up as we go. No, we didn't do that. We had plans. We had a picture on paper of what we wanted and we began the project with the end in mind. And so what is the end in mind for parenting? 
And some ways it's simple. It's the same goal that God has for you. God wants you and your kids to be fully devoted followers of Christ using your gifts and your talents and your spiritual calling to build the kingdom of God and operate in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy and peace, etc. and so on. And that's vitally important to understand because children do not turn out according to what you tell them to do. They turn out like the person you actually are. See, they've got an amazing capacity to work out what you're really like rather than the public image you project. They just sift out the fluff and the sparkle and they understand your character better than you. And they know why you really come to church. They know whether you really do believe in Jesus. They know whether you really do love Jesus from the bottom of your heart. And so before we talk about any techniques, we've got to understand the vital importance of modelling because you are the first model for how to live life which your kids will see. You are the example, the first example. You are the gold standard until something goes wrong in the teenage years. No. (laughs) And they start thinking about their their peers, but they need to see the best you. They need to see the best you who exists behind closed doors out of public view. For although you can tell them to be good kids, if you're not good yourself, whatever you tell them is going to just fall on deaf ears. And my friends, bringing up kids, as most of us here know, will push us to the limit. It's going to confront our self-concept. It's going to confront our endurance. It confronts our values, the things we think are important. Kids push us to the limit and they challenge things like our selfishness. Don't they? They challenge our selfishness. They challenge our desires for comfort and peace and quiet. They challenge our desires for taking it easy. They challenge our desire to have money in the bank. And kids can... Take everything you give them and treat it with contempt or they can return your love in the most exquisitely satisfying and fulfilling ways. And then just when you think you've got them all sorted out, they change and go off in a different direction. So whatever your experience of raising children is or parenting, it's important to understand that it starts with you being the best follower of Jesus which you possibly can be. Begin with that end in mind because it's the same end for you as for your kids. God wants both you and your children to be fully devoted followers of Christ, using your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your spiritual calling to build the kingdom of God and operating in the fruits of the Spirit. But we do have the problem of blind spots. When I was a uni student, one day I was driving my EH sedan along Mounts Bay Road away from Perth Uni. I went to change lanes, looked in the mirror and turned and then looked again and there was lights flashing and a swerving car in the back and I realised I'd driven towards and almost had a crash with a guy who was in my blind spot. Fortunately, these days you have those wide angle mirrors and you you don't have blind spots like that. 
And I'm convinced that all of us have blind spots which affect our parenting far more than we realise. And I know that the differences of opinion on how to parent can run very deep. We've all looked at somebody else's kids at some stage and said, how can they parent like that? Can't they see what they're doing wrong? If that was my kid, well, let's not hang around with that family too much. Their kids are feral. And the fact is that we are deeply committed to the way we think that parenting should be done. And we don't consider for a moment that our way is only one way to do it. We think our way is the right way. Because we like life to be done a certain way. And we like our children to do it a certain way. But at some point we're confronted with the fact that there are differences. Other people don't all think the same way as us. They don't use the same tools to solve problems that we use. They don't have the same aims and goals as us. And when we're confronted with differences, what are we going to do? Are we going to put the foot down harder, shout more loudly our way of doing things? Or are we going to let that go and start a conversation, an investigation, a detailed into inquiry into what's going on here, where you listen to somebody else's point of view, where you talk with wise people and friends you know, where you put time and effort and research into coming to a better solution. There are different ways to do this. And so I've got a reasonably humorous little video to illustrate different ways that you could be doing dad. So let's see if...
Did uh, any of those dads remind you of a dad you've seen somewhere? Or <laughs> no, I'm not not going to check on that. <laughs> but the point is, there actually are quite significant differences between us, aren't there? One size doesn't fit all. And how many of us have found out that what worked with one child didn't work with another? Yeah. How many of us have found out that because we are all unique? that each child actually needs a unique approach. And most importantly, the starting point for all that is that we need to accept their uniqueness. We need to accept their uniqueness completely. That's where we start. Think about this. God intentionally made every one of us different because he loves diversity. He didn't make clones. And so that means accepting each other's differences is vital. And let's look at a few things from Scripture to illustrate that. And the first thing about that uniqueness is that we have unique work to do. In Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have our own unique jobs. Then we acknowledge that God works differently through each of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, and there are different ways that God works through people. Different ways. But it's the same God, yesterday and today and forever. And how early did our uniqueness start? At conception, really. Psalm 139, you are the one who put me together inside my mother's body. And I praise you because of the wonderful way you created me. And so that uniqueness means we have to become students of our children, a student of our children. We have to look into the lives of our children. We have to spend enough time with them to work out what they're really good at, what they are not good at, what their interests are, what motivates them. We all want to know that, don't we? 
We have to devise situations that will develop their skills. We have to devise situations to find out what skills they have. We have to give them a go at things to see if they're any good at it. We have to, f to see what they could be doing way before they can see it themselves and then find ways to prepare them to be the best godly them that they can be. And note, whilst we can encourage them to pursue things that we like and there's a, there are things that a family knows which only that family knows, we still nevertheless have to give them full permission to choose another path if they wish because we don't want to live our life through our kids. We begin with the end in mind because we want them fully invested in living for Jesus just as we need to be. And then we lead them. And we must take on the role of leader in the home. So who's the leader in your home? Is it you or is it the kid? Good question. But remember, all leaders have blind spots. So we consider some of those blind spots come from just being different personalities. But what about, have you ever thought about how your job affects your parenting? I've seen nurses who basically want to nurse their kids and comfort them all the time. I've seen athletes who want to just play sport with the kids. I've seen builders who want to build Lego and engineering things with their kids. And there are soldiers who want to toughen up the kids so they can handle themselves on the playground. And then we see many people who may be couch potatoes, they're just trying to survive the kids so that they can become a grey nomad or spend the kids' inheritance before the kids get it. Nursing and caring professions may want to just always protect, protect, protect the kids from any emotional harm. They don't want their feelings to get hurt. And some parents raise their protection guards so high that kids can't learn to manage reasonable risk. And some parents are so into letting the kids be kids they reject all boundaries imposed arbitrarily by the system, the man, those suspect authorities. Because they got that noble savage concept that Mankind is inherently good and if you just let the kids run free, eventually they'll work out what's good. Well, I suppose I'm heading for saying that our job is to lead our children, not be their best buddy, not be their confident, their protector forever or their emotionally absent provider. And they need us to show them by what we say and by what how we really live, that the way to do life is to do it for the glory of God and in constant companionship with God. And to do that, they need us coming down to their level. Have you ever noticed grandparents getting down on the floor at the kids' level, coming down to what they see? Have you ever noticed them kicking the ball with the grandies? Stop there important activities to watch the grandchildren again and again and again and hey look at me there's no end to that is there but real parenting starts with such a love that enters into a child's world and which understands that love for a child is a four-letter word 
spelled T-I-M-E. My friends, there's no such thing as quality time without some quantity time. The occasional lick of time when you're just too tired to go and work, so you're back here and you haven't got enough energy for a relationship, that's not love. There's a side word for men here. I've seen many men who consider that home is the place where you come back to to recuperate and recover at the end of the day. And they consider it's their right to come in, plop down on the couch and do nothing until tea time because they spent all their energy out there on the job. And a far better option is to sit in a ute under a tree for 15 or 20 minutes and get some recuperation back, some meditation, so you come in with some energy Refreshed enough to hug the kids, followed by a relaxed and meaningful conversation with a spouse. Kids, wait, wait until mum and I've had a chat. And then lead in the family. Lead through training your kids to get ready for tea, to clean up, to get on top of homework, etc. Come home with enough energy to lead at home. Don't come home just for a hospital recovery room run by mum. So I finish off with a <clears throat> some things about being a leader in the home. What does a leader do? Well, firstly, a leader doesn't need the approval of those little followers. A leader's not worried if a child is upset or annoyed or frustrated because a leader has taken the time to carefully and calmly think through what is best for the kid. A leader looks ahead and nips problems in the bud the play is starting to escalate towards war, leader jumps in at the first sign of trouble so she can be calm and clear and unperturbed in dealing with it. A leader has posture. A leader is a leader and a leader is in charge despite what a child might see and a leader is not rattled or threatened by what kids say or at least doesn't let it show. And a leader can demonstrate an unflinching commitment seeing that an instruction given is actually carried out. A leader doesn't rattle off a thousand instructions that are just physically impossible to be done. A leader issues fewer, carefully thought through instructions which she is fully committed to implement. A leader, I believe, should be confronting childish, immature thinking and calmly and repeatedly stating better ways of thinking about the problem because kids can be totally committed to their solutions, which we know will not really make them happy. And leaders are totally committed to communicating better solutions to the kids. This is a better idea. A leader always states that the child is capable of solving the crisis or the problem which they're facing. A leader believes a child can take responsibility. A child can control his emotions. A child can stop self destructive behaviour and they tell the child over and over until the child realises that they can. A leader does not do for the child what the child can do for itself. How else does a kid learn to do stuff if you don't let them try it and fail and try and fail and try and fail until try and not fail so often. A leader prepares the child to leave his leadership the goal is fully competent, independent children with initiative, not indecisive, not dependent children. 
A leader doesn't want his children dependent on him. Sure, he wants communication lines free and open so they can talk about stuff, but at the end of the day, the child has to be able to weigh up the options and make the best decision on his own. So a leader prepares the child to leave his leadership. And a leader leads for the good of the child, not for his own convenience. How many of us want to finish our conversation, watch our video without assessing whether the child does really need our attention right now? Because a leader remembers that love does not demand its own way. And a leader does not compare children with one another. I mentioned a few times this, the, our individuality and our uniqueness today. Because there is an epidemic of comparing. And social media, that is a big comparison entity. You're comparing what you're looking like and what you're doing and, and the meal that you had at your restaurant with the meal they had at their restaurant. School and sports, competition, make us compare ourselves with one another. But all this comparison, which so often leads to bullying and people feeling bullied, only has power if people allow themselves to be compared with others. And if you understand the uniqueness you have in God, then you'll be able to stop comparing yourself with others because no one is exactly like you. And our only task is to be the best us, not better than that thing they saw there. Think about this, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves because at the end of the day, that's not wise. And in Galatians 6, 4, do your own work well. And then you'll have something to be proud of. But don't compare yourself with others. Leaders also understand that just because you've sent a message doesn't mean it's been received. It takes time and repetition to hear a message, to understand the message, to think about how to implement a message and then do it enough times to make it part of your life. And leaders understand the need to repeat without getting angry or upset because they understand that kids are kids and not adults. Give me I'll give you an example of Susanna Wesley, the mother of 17 children, one of whom was the famous John Wesley. She showed an amazing patience in teaching her flock, her kids. And one night, the husband, who's been quietly watching, expressed his wonder and he said, he counted her teaching a truth to one child 20 times before the kid got it. To which she replied, well, if I'd stopped with only 19 times, the whole labour would have been wasted. So it's a good example, isn't it? Are we willing to go to Susanna Wesley's uh, extent to take time to train our children in the way they should go? Well, let's wrap it up. We'll go back to Proverbs 22.6. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Or the Amplified Version, train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. We need to begin with the end in mind, the end that God wants you and your children to be fully devoted followers of Christ, using our gifts, talents, spiritual calling, 
to build the kingdom of God, operating in the fruits of the Spirit. And also, God wants us and our children walking into the unique works he has prepared for us. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We now, parenting is about being fully invested in growing people. Well, that's what it is. Parenting is growing people. And it's the most important task in society. Growing people who will make our nation godly and healthy and wealthy and great. And the most important training ground for it is in the family. But who considers the magnitude of what I've just said there? For if growing people is the most important job that we will ever have, then what training have you done for it? Have you gone looking for training? Are you on a continual journey of training yourself to be a parent? Or are you just doing what your, your parents did for you or leaving it up to the schools, to TV, to Google, to social media and medias and movies? It's a challenge, isn't it? And even though, as we've seen, the Bible has all the principles we need for success, Sadly, you can hardly find an example of good parenting in the Bible. And that should all give us great solace when we run into problems being a parent. Because even the very first family, before sin had hardly been around for a moment, Adam and Eve, one of the kids, killed one of the other kids. So it's not about beating yourself up about parenting today. But remembering to give, bringing up our child in the fear and nurture of the Lord, to give it our best shot. Because there is potential there for them to not depart from it when they grow old. But if you're not doing this, if you're doing nothing good, you can guarantee disaster is coming. Let's pray. Gracious and wonderful Lord, this is an amazing challenge that we are all given has fallen in our laps. We thank you that being the best ourselves is the heart of it. And let us learn from one another. Let us talk about this. Let's, let's find counsel. Let us go looking for ideas and clues that we might be the best parent we can be. And I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see what we need to see for our own situation, and that you would enable us to trust that you will lead us and guide us if we ask. Praise your holy name. Amen.